previously on Cyril Reed's Ninja Gaiden. After traveling halfway around the world to learn what really happened to his long-lost father, Ninja Master Ryu Hayabusa discovered that there are two statues that, if combined, could spell out the end of the world. Unfortunately, Ryu had to deal with thieves dressed up like postal workers and retrieve his stolen statue. In the meantime, Professor Smith, aka Dr. Wimple, was seriously injured in a scuffle that resulted in the other statue being stolen. And then the CIA showed up and tried to convince Ryu to work with them. No, I'm not joking. That really happened. I, I only wish I was joking. Chapter 11 It's down there! What? Ryu leaned towards the pilot of the tiny CIA plane. The propeller noise was making it almost impossible to hear anything. I said, it's down there! Ryu looked out the window. Below him was the dense South American jungle, swept by like a greenish-black carpet. Just beyond was the border. There was a long, barren plain. Where? Ryu shouted. On the plain! See? The really tall rock plateau? Ryu nodded. He could see the enormous, craggy rock growth that jutted out of the mountain, like the top of it was shaved off. You better go now! The pilot yelled. I have just enough fuel to get me back! Ryu checked the strap of his parachute. The wind would carry him into the jungle, not the plane. From above, the treetops looked like the perfect cushion, but he knew how dangerous it really was. After traveling by jeep, ultrasonic jet, and prop plane, Ryu felt wary. Even a ninja could break his leg falling from a tree. Looking over his shoulder, Ryu gave a quick salute to the pilot. He tapped his sword for good luck, then jumped. Almost instantly, the propeller noise faded. The wind boxed his ears. When he looked down, he saw a dense jungle, vegetation rushing towards him. At just the right time, he pulled the ripcord. He grunted as the unfolding parachute jerked him upwards. Then slowly, he sank into the jungle. He landed gently in a small clearing. The ground was soft and springy, like the centuries of fallen leaves. Unbuckling his straps, he ditched the parachute and walked in the direction of the plane. The overgrown jungle blocked out the bright sunshine he'd seen only minutes ago. Using the dragon sword, he slashed his way through the twisting vines. Around him, the screams of birds and monkeys were like tortured cries for help. Sometimes they sounded miles away. Sometimes they sounded as if they were right over his shoulder. More than once, he would spin around to slay an approaching beast, only to find it was nowhere near him. It was the silent animals that really worried him. The smart ones. The ones who just lay waiting for their prey. Did the Amazon have animals like that? A rustle in a nearby bush answered his question. With a roar that turned Ryu's blood to ice, a cougar leaped out of hiding. Ryu froze. 
It was against his personal code to kill the living thing unless his life was in mortal danger. It was, and Ryu was too late. As the cougar attacked, it bared its razor-sharp teeth. Teeth that made the dragon sword look like a putty knife. Game Hint To beat Jokyo, use the art of the fire wheel and shoot him once. Run to the left and shoot him again. Then run to the right, repeat, again and again. Here's your free World of Power trading card. Collect them all. Each World of Power book has a different card in it, with awesome playing tip for your favorite games. For a game playing hint, hold this card up to the mirror. All right, let me, let me go find the mirror. I got one right. I got one right here. So let's let's hold this up. To beat Jokyo, use the art of the fire wheel and shoot him once. Run to the left and shoot him again. Then run to the right and repeat again and again. Chapter twelve. Chi power. The words flash into Ryu's brain. It was the secret mental discipline known only to the ninjas the ability to cloud a person's mind. Using chi power, a ninja could appear invisible to an opponent. But would it work with an animal? Ryu used a Yoko Aruki sidestep. The cougar narrowly missed him, landing gracefully on all fours. With a deep growl, it turned towards Ryu again. Its eyes were bloodshot, its mouth was drooling. Ryu looked into his eyes. He concentrated hard, blanking his mind of all but the chi energy. It came to him from the ages. It came to him from a full-grown source of power born generations ago in the minds of the original ninja warriors. With their rugged training, attacking under cover of darkness with the power of chi, the ninja avenged the reign of terror of all powerful samurai. Some laughed at the idea of chi. It was all psychological, they said. Whatever it was, it was working. The cougar's growl softened to a whimper. Before Ryu's eyes, it began sniffing the ground. It sensed Ryu was there, but it couldn't see him. Ryu walked away without making a sound. Before long, he came to the end of the jungle. The plain stretched out before him. All around, the earth was flat and arid. Clumps of scrub brush dotted the landscape. The lizards skittered about. In the distance, like a pyramid that had been heaved from the earth itself, stood the Temple of Darkness. It was more awesome than the photos Foster had shown him. Its ledges of brown rocks were jagged and brutal. It cast the only shadow for miles around. No plants, not even the tiniest patch of grass grew anywhere near it. The winds that whistled around and it seemed to be saying, Stay away! Stay away! As Ryu walked towards it, he could feel its energy. It was as if the rock itself were breathing. It, it seemed to be pushing Ryu. Several times he found himself veering away. He could tell that any ordinary person would have changed course by now. But he was far from ordinary. And something inside of him was telling him to go onward. He was there for a reason, 
and it wasn't because the CIA had sent him. No. No, the, the CIA was merely a stop along the way towards Ryu's ultimate destiny. At the end of the path, Ryu would find out what happened to his father. Of this, if nothing else, he was certain. When Ryu reached the base of the Mesa, the forest was almost unbearable. It felt as if he were a tiny north magnet trying to touch the north end of the world's largest magnetic field. He fought against it. He looked for a way in. Several yards away was a tall, triangular gash in the rock. He walked towards it, then entered. The darkness was total, pitch black. His footsteps echoed as he walked blindly forward. A pinpoint of light shone from around the corner. It led him to a hallway, and then a room. Lit by a thin shaft of sunlight through the crack in the ceiling, the room was a narrow and long. It was a natural cavern, and its cool, dry air chilled Ryu to the bone. A set of train tracks ran straight down the center. Where the tracks ended, an old, rusted coal car sat. Its black paint job was fuzzy gray from years of dust. Ryu reached inside and wiped a layer of grime off the wooden seat. Then he hopped in, wondering if there was any control. There didn't have to be. Immediately, the car lurched forward. Ryu was thrown back. He clutched the side of the car. With sudden acceleration, it sped away, leaving the room behind. It climbed and climbed into the grotto. Then another cavern. Ryu looked down. The tracks were elevated high above the ground now on a spindly wood scaffolding that creaked with the strain. Below him was a pool of black stagnant liquid. The liquid began to move. Or rather, what was in the liquid moved. Ryu's eyes widened. It had a long, curved body with sharp fins and sharp teeth and mocking eyes that seemed to beckon him downward. The car was shuddering. Ryu looked ahead. Suddenly, the forward momentum stopped. A scream ripped from his lungs to his mouth. The tracks had ended. He was plunging down into the gaping jaws below. To be continued. And now, an open letter to A.L. Singer, author of Ninja Gaiden. Dear A.L. Singer, thanks again for taking my letter. So, I, I don't even know where to start. You know, you, you throw so many different elements into these chapters that I'm having a hard time finding something, you know, to, to start with. Um, so, I, I, guess, uh, I guess I should start with the, the Ninja Gaiden trading card. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, I personally think it's a great idea to put some sort of collectible item in your book. But uh, couldn't you at least give us a different tip? The, the trading card promises a tip, but did it really have to be the same tip as the one that was on the previous page? I, I'm not kidding about this. The tip is repeated two pages in a row. And, and, and that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part is that I actually have to do something. I have to find a mirror and decipher a code. All this work for nothing since the same code was on the page before it. But what's that about? Talk about a useless hint. And, and, and way to spoil the ending of this game, jerk. To beat Jockio, you say. Well, well, I guess that means that we're going to have to fight Jockio and 
at some point in this in this book. Is the next tip going to be about how Ryu's father isn't actually dead and how Samus is actually a girl? Talk about spoiling the ending of the book halfway through. It's it's almost makes me not want to read the rest of this book. Thanks a lot, jerk. Oh, and while I have you here, can I just congratulate you now on having the world's most awkward analogy? Yeah, how, how did that go again? Oh, that's right. It, it felt as if he were a tiny north magnet trying to touch the north of the world's largest magnet field. Yeah, talk about a forced metaphor. The analogy was so convoluted that it sounds like you gave up halfway through. And could you have said north any more times? What, what is this, a drinking game? I suppose I should commend you on not saying something stupid like, Ryu felt like a can of smashed assholes. I'm not sure if I uh, made a big enough deal about this last week, but, but it doesn't seem strange to anybody else that the CIA has a 13-year-old kid trying to save the world. And, and he's doing it all by himself, too. I mean, couldn't they at least have sent a bodyguard? Maybe a smart mouse sidekick character like, you know, Rush Hour or Lethal Weapon or something. You know, he could be reused Chris Tucker. This plot line is even more unbelievable than Armageddon, and, and let me tell you, that, that, that's just pretty unbelievable. The one guy most qualified to save the world is a 13-year-old kid who seems to have to fight a new animal every chapter or two. Really? I mean, I mean really? You, you don't see the problem with this logic? Whatever you say, Mr. Singer. All in all, this was another solid episode. I, I hate how... How short some of these chapters are. I mean, chapter 11 is just a few hundred words long, barely enough time to, to do much of anything. At least it makes choosing music easy. Anyway, I gotta get back to Grand Theft Auto 4, so I'll uh, I'll talk to you again next week. All the best, Cyril LaShawn. <laughs>